Starting in the fall of 2020, Furman is going to be offering a course that is pretty different from any other class I've ever had. It's a creative writing class, English 200, and if you've ever taken a creative writing class, many of its elements will no doubt be familiar to you. The curriculum consists of weekly group workshops for peer review, with writing exercises and reading assignments given out as homework each week. It's going to be taught by Dr. Laura Morris of the Furman University English Department, which isn't the unusual part either, as Dr. Morris has been teaching creative writing classes similar to this one at Furman for a couple years now. What makes this class unique is that only half of the people enrolled in it are Furman students. The other half consists of men who are incarcerated at Perry Correctional Institution, a maximum security prison in Pickens, South Carolina. The class is also a study-away program of sorts, even though the Furman undergrads taking it won't be leaving Greenville County, because they'll be learning at the prison itself, locked behind multiple layers of perimeter security and under the watchful eye of security cameras and corrections officers. If this sounds too absurd to ever happen, well, it already has. Dr. Morris and one of her students did a test run last semester, and it was because of said test run success that they got the green light to begin the program in earnest. I'm Jared Hanley, reporting for Furman's Collaborative for Community Engaged Learning, and in this episode of Upstate Anecdote Society, we're going to be taking an in-depth look at Furman's new program, Studying Behind Bars with the Furman Prison Education Partnership. As I walk into Furman's English department, which lies tucked between the administrative offices and the small humanities classrooms of Furman Hall, I see multiple posters for the class I'm here to learn more about. At a casual glance, they don't really stand out amidst all the other posters for improv shows and acapella group auditions, but someone who actually takes the time to examine everything on the notice boards would probably be intrigued. In simple Calibri letters, it says, Study Behind Bars, at the top of the poster, and beneath the smaller subheadings explaining the where's and the when's, there's a photo of a corrections officer letting a large group of college-age kids through a metal gateway. The photo has been tinted in Photoshop to make everything in the frame either purple or white, in keeping with the color motif that's ubiquitous across Furman's campus. But I'm pretty sure that the kids in the photo aren't actually Furman students, because as far as I know, only two people from Furman have actually been inside of Perry Correctional thus far. Dr. Morris and Haley Pierce, a senior English major and protege of Dr. Morris. I've got an interview with Haley lined up for later this week, but for now, I want to talk to Dr. Morris. Before I hear about the very specific experience of one student, I want to get a bird's-eye view of the whole program from the person who's been pushing it for nearly five years now. I want to know what makes prison education programs like this valuable, why that value hasn't been recognized at Furman until very recently, and what made Dr. Morris so passionate about teaching the incarcerated in the first place. Dr. Morris's office is pretty much what you'd expect of an English professor at a small liberal arts college. There's a desk and an ergonomic workstation, both stacked with sheaves of paper, and one entire wall is dedicated to a series of overflowing bookshelves. Dr. Morris waits patiently as I fumble with my USB microphone and get the recording software up and running. Once I finally do, I jump right in with my first question. 
I ask her to take me to the beginning and explain how she got her start teaching in prison and what compelled her to keep doing it for years. I started studying prison in 2004 mm. when I was doing my master's, but when I was at Texas A&M University doing my PhD, I a friend of mine worked at a local women's prison and he taught creative writing there and he said, hey, you might be interested in this, Laura. And I said, I am. And then when he got a new job, he said, do you want me to recommend you to the job? And I started teaching creative writing at a, women, a federal women's facility in Texas. And I did that from 2012 to 2015. And nobody goes into prison unless you have a reason to. We go to prison because we're incarcerated, because we have family and friends who are incarcerated, or because we work there. Nobody really thinks about people who are incarcerated unless they know people who are incarcerated. We don't think of them as people. And when I started going in, I got to know these women. I knew when they were trying to get out of a bad marriage. I knew when they were trying to make a marriage work from prison. Um, I knew when they were struggling to take care of their kids from prison. And their stories were electrifying. And to watch these women survive, to watch them um, and to interact with them as they were making things work and making real decisions about their lives while still incarcerated was huge. So I, for me, it was about getting to know the people in there and getting to know people beyond whatever their conviction was for. And I actually don't ask any of the people I work with what they were convicted for because I don't really care. Um, sure. I don't want one I don't want it to change my view of them but two our worst act shouldn't define us so I and I also do realize that some people haven't actually committed that act that they've been convicted of so um, I want to know these people as people and most of them have really full lives not most all of them have really full lives and they have all of these things that they care about and think about beyond whatever they're convicted for. And I think that's the heart of all the prison work for me is these are people. These are people who deserve more than society gives them. I asked her to take me through the first class she ever taught in prison, which she's able to do in great detail even though it was a long time ago. It's clearly a moment in her life that she's turned over and over in her mind countless times in the intervening years. The first day I thought, well, I've been teaching for what? 10 years at that point, and I thought, oh, I know what I'm doing, I know how to teach, I know how to, and I don't think I thought enough about these people's experiences and how they were different from mine, so I did something stupid the very first day of class, so teaching a class on children's writing, I thought, what are often books about children's writing about? They're about children's fears, so I started with a writing exercise asking these women to write about their largest childhood fear. And, of course, not thinking that they had extremely different backgrounds than I did. I thought I would hear about ghosts and the dark and monsters, and instead it was about federal agents busting down their houses and dad getting shot by gang members. And I felt like an idiot. But I also learned a ton, and they were very nice to me. The women were really kind. So that first day was... a. Uh, one of my largest learning opportunities, I won't say the largest, but one of the largest learning opportunities I had while I worked in Texas, and I realized I need to rethink everything, and I need to rethink how I'm approaching these students who are really different than other students. So it was different going into prison. It was different dealing with people who had been incarcerated, but I think 
It wasn't about fear. It was about my own uh, naivete. She then goes on to tell me that the experience stuck with her. So much so that she was still passionate about it well after her first stint teaching in prison ended and she left Texas. I didn't love Texas. Um, <laughs> Texas was not my favorite place to live, but uh, working but working at the prison was my favorite thing to do. So when I left Texas, I really missed the prison. And I had told myself I would start a, some sort of prison education program here at Furman at some point. And that took a while. I expected to start it maybe a year after I got here, but I got busy. And then uh, Megan Slining in Health Sciences at Furman and uh, Sally Morris Cody in the Riley Institute both approached me and said, hey, I hear you're the person to talk to about prison. And everything took off in the spring of 2018. So it seemed like all of these pieces fell into place. The Perry Correctional was open to education. Furman was open to talking about offering that sort of education. And there were other faculty and staff members here who wanted to do it. It was actually a professor at Clemson who was already teaching there who thought he would reach out to Furman and see what uh, what whether we would be interested. And so I contact and so I went to a meeting with him and he had already opened the door. Normally at a correctional facility it takes forever to get your foot in the door because it's a ton of work on their part. But uh, Chaplain Epps at Perry Correctional really went above and beyond mm -hmm. in creating uh, a space for us to do this sort of work. Um, and really talking to the warden and setting things up and making sure that we could get in there. So that was really great. On Furman's side, to tell you the truth, we didn't know who to talk to. We knew we had this idea and we kept going to different people. So we went to Mike Winiski in community engaged learning. We went to, I forget who all we went to, um, until finally somebody said, you need to go to the provost to ask for money. So we did. <laughs> we went to the provost and pitched him the program and asked for money. And he said, yes. And we just keep asking for more money and more time ever <laughs> since. And so far, he hasn't said no. Although her time in that women's prison camp in Texas held the first major revelatory moments for her, the more she talks, the more it becomes apparent that Dr. Morris has a wide range of experience when it comes to the American criminal justice system. So I've worked in federal and state. I've worked in maximum and minimum security, and I've worked with women and men. So I've kind of gone to all different parts of the system, and they're all different. Federal system is uh, more well-funded, so people make more. Um, there are more programming. The state level is not as well-funded, especially in the South. Um, the security level thing is interesting, though, because when, you, when I walked into a minimum security prison, I felt like I was walking into a college campus with a big fence around it. And it never felt like I was being locked in, shut in. In fact, there were places that if you really wanted to, you could walk out. The, the maximum security prison, you I, I forget if it's five or six gates that slam behind you as you go in. So you go, you wait for the first one to open, it slams shut behind you and you're stuck in a little hallway until the next one opens, until the next one opens. And you keep doing this over and over until you're all the way in. And it's a really weird feeling. Some people cannot get past that feeling, and I get it. 
because it's uh, you're locked in. As you said, you are locked in whether you work there or whether you're incarcerated there. You are locked in until somebody else chooses to let you out. So it's a really, a really interesting feeling, a really confining feeling, of course. I remember once, even at a minimum security prison, I was, one day I went in in a gray shirt, and that was the color of the uniforms. And when I tried to leave at first, somebody said, you know, hey, what are you doing coming up to this window? What are you doing? Because I was going there to sign out and get my license to leave. And they wanted to stop me because I was wearing the wrong color clothes. And I never, ever wore gray to that prison again. I never wear the color that the people who are incarcerated wear because you never know. Not that they're going to keep you. It's just you don't really want to be mistaken for someone who has to stay because that can be a little nerve-wracking. In other words, she knows her stuff. Now that I'm thoroughly impressed with her credentials, I decide to get into the more abstract questions. I ask her to tell me what she thinks the benefits of sharing this experience with Furman students is for both the students and the incarcerated men they'll be learning alongside. I think getting to know people who you might not otherwise interact with is huge. Um, getting to see the world from a different perspective. I Every time I talk to somebody who's incarcerated, I learn more. Every time I talk to anyone, I learn more. But uh, I, I hadn't talked to and spent around a lot of time with people who had been incarcerated before I started doing this work. And seeing lives that are very different from mine really changed how I viewed the world. And I'm hoping that interacting, so men who are incarcerated interacting with Furman students and Furman students interacting with incarcerated students, everybody will be changed by the interaction mm. just because they're suddenly going to realize a reality that they might not have thought about and they might see the world in different ways. Obviously, as an English major myself, I can see the benefit of teaching creative writing to anyone, and I'm sure to tell this to Dr. Morris before asking my next question. Why creative writing? Why teach incarcerated men how to write short stories and nonfiction, which some people might see as being frivolous compared to more conventional things like vocational training? Writing for incarcerated people does a few things. One, writing and communicating better is good for everyone. I think anyone who learns how to write, uh, you learn to write a short story and a poem and an essay, then you can go and you can write a resume and a cover letter and everything else. So it does have practical purposes, but also writing is cathartic. I think we often learn to understand ourselves and we learn to, and we really do think through the things we've been through, through writing. So I've noticed at least, and mostly with incarcerated populations in the past, I've noticed that, uh, Writing about trauma can really help you come to terms with trauma. And while I think this can happen anywhere, I think the idea of it happening in prison is even more important. Because most of the people who are incarcerated, not most, all of the people who are incarcerated have been traumatized in some way. And they're all traumatized every single day by being incarcerated. I thank Dr. Morris for her time, pack up my gear, and make my way out of Furman Hall and back to my car. On the drive back to my apartment, I think over Dr. Morris's answers to my questions and am impressed by how thorough and well thought out they were despite being off the top of the head. It's easy to see that this is a topic that's always at the forefront of her consciousness, a fundamental part of her being for the last several years of her life. 
and though her answers were all good, they nonetheless left me burning with even more curiosity. Curiosity about what it's like for a college student in 2019 to suddenly be dropped into the deep end of Dr. Morris's world. Later that week, I head to the library on Furman's campus for my appointment with Haley Pierce. I've reserved a study room for the sake of privacy and better acoustics. In the rooms to either side of us, Furman undergrads are silently tapping away at MacBooks or conferring about group presentations in hushed tones. We're here to talk about prison. The thing I want to know about is what that first day was like for her. But before I can ask about that, I need to know how she became the guinea pig for a program like this in the first place. What experience got her interested? What authority granted her access? I read and write with Dr. Morris, um, and she basically talked all the time about how much she loved going to prison, how much she loved teaching there, and I read this book by one of the Sermon Philosophy professors, Dr. Wirth, and it's called In Defense of Reading, and um, basically it's like why Teaching English and writing is especially important, like for young children to develop like their identities and like empathy, critical thinking skills. Um, and then she had this chapter on the importance of teaching, like especially like reading to juvenile students and um, how it like vastly lowers recidivism rates, which is like the rate at which people who are released from prison want, like are then reincarcerated again. Um, for crimes, whether that's like another crime or if they've broken parole or something. And so um, increasing literacy and educational levels lowers recidivism, and that's directly tied into this concept of worth and identity. Um, and I was like, that sounds really cool. Probably not something I would ever be interested in, but um, I was like, prison education sounds cool. And then here's Dr. Morris talking about her experience of teaching for like five years in prisons and how amazing it was. And I was like, fine. <laughs> and I was like, so then I kept on talking to her throughout the rest of the semester. And finally on the last day, I like went up to her and I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> I want to go to prison. And she was like, all right, I'll find, uh, she's like, I'll figure something out. And so, um, so Furman was like, obviously this is a level three maximum security all-male prison. Um, and most of these guys haven't, haven't seen like a young female in a while. And they're like, and so we would be willing to do this, but you have to have a test semester first. And so then Dr. Morris was like, I have one student who like wants to go in with me. So then she figured everything out um, and the semester went well. Now we're going to start taking in more students. With background information now out of the way, Haley tells me what it was like the first time she entered Perry Correctional and what it was like to actually attend a class there for the first time. I went into prison one time before like our class started just so I could kind of see the layout of what the prison looked like, meet with the head chaplain who was the guy who um, helped us like get the classes in prison. Um, and so when I went in to talk with him the first time, the prison was on lockdown, so I didn't see anyone. Um, they were on lockdown because uh, someone got stabbed. Um, that was fun. And so like I walked in like there's just like a bunch of like stray cats and like dogs everywhere like in the prison yard and it's just like empty and I was like and there's like a thousand men here that like I'm not going to be able to see and like this is prison and I, it was so weird because it's so empty um but then like on the actual like first day of class I like went through 
seems like five different things you have to go through. It's like a full body pat down. Um, you have to like turn out all of your pockets. They have to go through all of your stuff to make sure, like obviously you don't have any weapons. You have to check like your clothing to make sure that you're not wearing anything that's too revealing. Um, if so, they send you back. <laughs> um, and so I was never, I was never scared going in of the guys. Um, I don't know why. I think I was, I think I was so like full of conviction that like this is where I needed to be that I the thought of being scared of these men didn't even really cross my mind. Um, yeah, so when you walk through, like when you get through the gates and like you actually go into the prison yard, you turn immediately right um, because the they don't have a lot of classrooms, so the classrooms are in the gymnasium, which is also where the chaplain's office is. And so you walk into the gymnasium and there's just at least like 30, 40 guys like playing basketball and like, and all of a sudden they see like two women like walking into prison and like they all like turn around and kind of stare at you and I was like, oh, this makes me uncomfortable, but I still wasn't scared. And I was just like, mm -hmm, hello, nice to meet you guys. Let me go into my classroom. And it was tense just because it's like 12 guys who may or may not be convicted murderers. Dr. Morris, who's like five foot one, walking in with her like power suit and then like me i'm an awkward 21 year old college student and i'm just like haha hello normal people who have criminal records but you're also students so i have to treat you like students but also like most of that first day was me trying to figure out what what are the things that i'm allowed to say to incarcerated people like am i allowed to laugh with them am i allowed to treat them normally am i allowed to critique them for the work that they have or do i like build them up because they probably don't have a lot of encouragement in prison and so it was a lot of like trying to figure out i guess like the proper way to like talk to them and then like there's this one guy in the class named james who's 27 and he is one of the smartest guys i've ever met and he has a very very dry sense of humor i actually think you would get along with him super well um and he like kept on making jokes about like oh don't worry like i have life in prison like i got all the time in the world and so you're like oh that's that's uncomfy, and then you have to like learn to like laugh with them because they use humor as like a coping mechanism. And I'm like, these guys are normal, like humans, and like I can talk with them about anything if I wanted to. And it's like, and I just want them to be able to like trust me enough that they have like a safe space. And in order to do that, like I have to be normal. And then once I accepted that, like on the last, on the, like the last part of that first day, I was like, I'm so excited for this. This is gonna be great. Um, because one of the, one of the students named Tremaine came up to me. Um, he was about forty, and he asked me, "Did you come in here because Dr. Morris told you to, or did you come in here because you want to teach us?" And I said, "I came in here because I wanted to. Um, it's like I wanted to have the opportunity to meet you guys, and I love creative writing, and I think everyone should be like to learn. I think everyone should have the ability to learn how to write creatively." And he he just looked at me and he said. I just want you to know that like you have nothing to be afraid of from us because you have chosen to come in here despite like all the fear that surrounds people like us and he was like and you are here to teach us and you are here to care about us and because of that if anything happens like we will protect you you don't have to be afraid and i was just like start crying <laughs> i was just like all right that's fine it's okay i was like this i was like this guy in this like these two and a half hours in prison have almost like single-handedly deactivated all of my 
I guess, like perceptions and like once held beliefs about incarcerated people. As far as the structure of each individual class goes, it seems to me that her class was pretty similar to most of the writing courses already offered at Furman, some of which I've taken myself. The main differences are the length of the class and the preferred subject matter of most of the students. Yeah, so this is a really long class, first of all, because we could only go in once a week, so it's two and a half hours, and um, mostly it would be, we, we, would, we had a textbook for them to read, and so we would give them a chapter each week to read, and then like two or three writing prompts. Um, so we would discuss the chapter of like the book, which kind of explains like, how to write characters, like how to write conflicts, settings, um, the importance of point of view, like if you're going to do first person, second person, third person, um, just like very basic how to write stuff. Um, and so we would kind of discuss like the points made in each of those chapters and then we would have the guys, we'd break the guys up into groups of like four um, and then they would read each other, like their work to each other and then they would, um, we would enter into a time called like workshop where the people who are listening to your work tell you what your strengths are, um, things that you need to probably work on, um, and like things that you should probably like do without. And it's always been a very helpful, like constructive criticism way. It's never like, oh, hey, this part sucked. And like, it, it, it was never about like tearing people down. It's about these are things that you can work on, um, which helps build camaraderie between them and also engages their own mental faculties to think of the world around them and think of things critically. Um, and then Dr. Morris and I would like walk around like between different groups and like if someone had a question or if they were like, hey, the other guys aren't really getting what I'm saying, can you help me? And, and we would like sit down and kind of like talk things through with them. Um, yeah, and then sometimes Dr. Morris would just go on rants for a while about writing, which is always super fun. Um, sometimes we talk about things in prison, like the importance of the shoes you wear and how that is different. Um, and like news that's going on in the outside world. So usually we never followed like a strict, strict schedule, but that was basically what we did was talk about the book, workshops, and then other random things. <laughs> the next thing I do is ask Haley the same question I asked Dr. Morris earlier in the week. What's the benefit of teaching creative writing to people who are in prison? When you go, when, when someone is goes into prison, especially for life, like they are then stripped of everything that made them who they were, and they're like relegated to this crime that they did. Like that's the only thing that defines who they are then is this crime. And then they, they aren't given a name, they're given a number. And the only clothes that they're given is a bright orange jumpsuit. And they don't have anything else for like for themselves. Like if, if they have family on the outside, then like they can have like a few like small keepsakes and like they have like an outside connection. But other than that, like a lot of the guys either don't have family or not in contact with them because of the choices and decisions that they've made um, to go into prison. And so the point of prison is to be both rehabilitated and transformational. Um, but when you go into prison, everything is then like switched around and like you aren't even worthy of holding the title of human anymore. You just become a number. Um, you become like one in a line, like you just become a statistic. Um, and usually when people focus on you, it's only for entertainment, like entertainment value or um, like taxpayer money, like how much a prison's costing. And, but then it's like most of 
most of the media that we consume today is based on like criminal justice systems and so they're just used for entertainment fodder um so those are like two identities that are slapped on them like you are entertaining and you are also not worth anything besides taxpayer money um but creative writing like first and foremost is for yourself um because you are pulling and instead of like using like an outside source instead of writing like a dissertation on like the great gatsby or something um creative writing is about what you care about and like this like why you write about the things you write about so like i told one of like some of the guys who were kind of struggling with the idea of creative writing i was like i have this thing where i like to write about lighthouses i don't know why it's just something i do maybe it's because i like the isolation of it i like the idea of being of having like a light like keep someone like safe like at shore like that's like it could be like a bunch of like different decisions but like but my my choice to write about lighthouses shows that i like stability and i like something there to guide me and i was like and that's and that's why i do that and i was like and through creative writing i understood like i understood that that's my kind of like my draw like those are my themes that i like to write about so what do you guys like to write about like why do you make the decisions you make like you're if you're writing creatively you're always writing bits of yourself and a lot of the times the self is erased from prison and so to encourage these guys to think about themselves to write what they love write their passions it provides them an opportunity to be like hey i am still human and the choices i make and the things that i care about do matter um yeah like this one student we had uh charles for the first few weeks of class he wasn't really getting the whole concept of creative writing. Um, he wrote about domestic violence, which like he very much wants to like be to like stage a platform like against domestic violence and to like raise up like women and be like you can't treat women like punching bags, basically. Um, but the thing is is his writing was very academic, but it wasn't creative. And finally I went up to him one day and I was like, Charles, you very much care about this, so why aren't you in your writing? And he kind of asked me what I meant, and I said, you have to convince other people to care about the things that you care about, and the easiest and best way to do that is writing yourself, because vulnerability and openness and honesty will convince people to love the things that you love. So, like, write yourself. And so many of the guys had never done this before, because creative writing then becomes, like, self-therapy, because you have to confront who you are, your past, the decisions you've made, the things you care about and it solidifies an identity of who they are it's evident from her response to my line of inquiry that Haley has internalized this experience she's had and the perspective of others on that same experience in a very real way when i ask her what she personally got out of the class her answer is quick and full of conviction you gain a completely different look on america's most exploited minority group, I would say. Um, incarcerated, there are 300, 300 million Americans and incarcerated people make up 2.1 or 2.3 million, I can't remember exactly, um, which is like an incredibly, incredibly small group of people that are just entirely forgotten and ignored. Because like I said before, they're only, you only remember them in terms of like taxpayer money and tax stats. They don't even have rights to them, to like themselves. They don't have rights to their identities and like who they are and everything they've lost in life. But it's like, but that does stem from the fact that it's like 
a lot of these guys are in here for murder. Um, it's not things like theft or breaking and entering or grand theft auto. Um, and so then, like, the whole question of, like, mercy comes into play and, like, justice. Like, well, he, this person killed someone and that's the most, like, inhuman act he could possibly commit. So then, is he then deserving of an education? Is he deserving of kindness? And that was something that I struggled with for a very long time was, like, if, if this, one of these guys, if one of these guys had killed, like, one of my, like, best friends or a member of my family, like, it would be so different because he took away someone I love, so, like, why should I then give him the chance to, like, have something that, like, something good, something positive, something helpful, like, is he deserving of that? But then that would suggest that, like, I am somehow morally superior in a way, and then it is now, like, then it would be my decision to withhold or to give education, but that's not my decision. Like, the decision was made by, like, a judge. Now, now is the time not for punishment or consequences. Now is the time for kindness and mercy because, like, education is the first step into that. And so I think that, like, my experience and, like, how I kind of turned from my moral high horse into someone who encourages the humanization and mercy and humanization and mercy towards incarcerated people like I want that to be extended to so many more students because it's all well and good to preach but then it's another thing to go and experience like someone can preach as much as they want but without actually experiencing like what someone is preaching then like you you're not actually going to change and so it's like I feel like I can talk about things like this because like I have been in there like I have seen things and it's like I can't I can't obviously speak from like a full, like a fully enlightened perspective because I spent one semester in there. Um, like I would spend so much of like my time in there if I could, but I don't have the ability and so I want other people to do it for me. Because if we can change people's perspectives on like, on incarcerated people and their identities and um, ideas of mercy and kindness and education, then honestly, I think it'll make for a more empathetic and merciful society. Well, that's about all the time we have for this episode of Upstate Anecdote Society. I hope that you found the stories you heard today interesting, at the very least. And if you're a Furman undergrad who is passionate about education within the criminal justice system, or if you just want to take a class that offers you something you won't get from any other class currently offered at Furman, I would highly recommend participating in Furman's prison education program. As of the time of this recording, I believe there are a few spots left in the course that's going to be offered this upcoming fall semester, but if you're not lucky enough to snag one of those, you can always try for next semester. Let me tell you, it's a lot cheaper than a study abroad program, but it has just as much to offer, in my opinion. If you enjoyed this episode of Upstate Anecdote Society, I would also highly recommend that you stay tuned for our next episode, where we're going to dive even deeper into the topic of criminal justice and education within the prison system by talking to some men who have recently been released from prison themselves and seeing what they have to say about these issues. With any luck, in the not-too-distant future, I will be going inside of Perry Correctional Facility itself to have conversations with men who are currently incarcerated and who are part of Furman's prison education program to get their perspective. So, as I said, stay tuned for that. 
Once again, I'd just like to mention that this program is brought to you by the Furman Collaborative for Community-Engaged Learning, in partnership with Furman's David E. Shy Center for Sustainability. This is Jared Hanley, signing off. <laughs>